Professor McDougall was born in Burton's, Mississippi in 1906, and he grew up in the small farming community there. His father was the county doctor and also a political leader in the area. Professor McDougall went on to the University of Mississippi, where he won basic degrees and a law degree as well, taught Latin and Greek, and then made a big jump. He went to Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar. He studied at Oxford at St. John's College, and in 1930, turned down an invitation to stay at Oxford and teach, and came to the Yale Law School, where he did a JSD in 1931. Thereafter, he went on to the University of Illinois, taught there for several years until he was recalled to Yale, and he's been here ever since. I wonder if we can come back to the basic conception of jurisprudence, the conception of law and its functions that characterized this school through all of those years and perhaps to an extent still does now. Right after the Second World War, you and Professor Laswell published an article that was a call to a radically new functional conception of legal education. Well, this, the call in that article was for a deliberate emphasis upon policy making as a part of legal education, but uh, that article was an answer to a very long history. I don't think the article can be understood uh, without some sense of that history. If we go back and look at the American legal realists for a moment, the American legal realists had had a conception of jurisprudence, as I said, as theory for inquiry about law. Uh, they had an observational standpoint. Uh, Thurman Arnold used to talk of the little man from Mars. You've got to stand outside the law and look at it. If you get embroiled in the entrails of what you are studying or examine, you choke yourself, you blind yourself. Uh, they had a notion of law, not as these complementary dichotomous, ambiguous, incomplete rules, but as a process of decision. And they were interested in the decisions which established this process, a, a constitutive process, the whole flow of decisions, the relation of it to uh, uh, community process. But the legal realists never had any very comprehensive set of values. Uh, they were concerned with policy, but at a very low level, for bigger and better TVAs, better civil liberties, more public housing. Uh, they never came up with any comprehensive set of criteria for evaluating the decisions they were concerned with. Uh, they were concerned with description. They wanted to describe past decisions uh, to pierce the myth, to move from the covert uh, prescriptions to the actual prescriptions, to the genuine prescriptions. Uh, move through from what they call myth to reality, but uh, they were concerned with the scientific task. They were not, uh, they were concerned with the future, but some of them regarded the efforts to predict as completely impossible. Jerome Frank, for example, took the position that there's nothing consequential you can say about the future. You're lucky if you can describe the present or something about the past. They had no comprehensive set of 
of policies, no comprehensive set of intellectual procedures. I can remember Underhill Moore used to say to Deshin and me, to Fortis, the group of us, he'd have us out to dinner. He said, I'll meet you young squirts at the barricades. He says, I'm not interested in what ought to be. The only thing I'm interested in is what is and the factors that affect the is. The policy consequences are for the birds. Nobody knows what the policy consequences of a decision are. Uh, this, for many of us, this was a destructive approach, as I said. There wasn't enough in it to maintain our loyalties, to keep uh, people interested. So what, after World War II, it was clear to many people that uh, law authoritative decision had a great deal to do with the disastrous consequences that led up to World War II. And uh, there were many people had a vision of a better world after World War II. They wanted to get rid of this kind of destruction. And as I said, Lassville had a vision of an interdependent world, of a global community. This is what this first book on world politics and personal insecurity was all about. Uh, he had a notion of law as a combination of authority and control. Uh, his political scientists were concerned with control, with power politics, and uh, the reason he was seeking lawyers as collaborators was to get somebody who understood authority and who could work with authority. He was seeking somebody, some way of combining authority and control. So uh, uh, he was very happy to come into a law school and work with uh, people like Deshin and Donnelly and myself to try to, to work out a more constructive approach. And, uh, we wrote, in fact, we wrote this old first article on legal education and public policy in the Blackstone Hotel in Washington during World War II in the evening there. And we had it ready when the war was over to publish in the Yale Law Journal. And it was put out as sort of a programmatic statement uh, for a new jurisprudence, a new conception of law. And uh, in this, we we went back to very old notions, older than the Austinian positivism and so forth, that law is a process by which the members of a community clarify and secure their common interests. This is at least 5,000 years old in ancient China and ancient India, and we thought it was just as vital and alive today as it was then. But you see, the question then becomes, if this is your conception of law, what kinds of intellectual procedures do you mean you need to, to make this operative, to make it useful? And the last one would begin with a global map of global community process, the interactions of human beings that transcend uh, all boundary lines was the larger context with which he wished to work. And uh, uh, with this map, uh, the next question is, who are you, the scholar? What are you trying to do? What's, what is the mission, the role of the scholar? And uh, this came back, the emphasis here was upon what the realists started, that the appropriate jurisprudence is a theory about law, not of law, not the theories of law that are being observed and studied as facilitating decision, but uh, the scholar uh, was to get free of the biases of the inherited myth, but at the same time not to regard himself as neutral, as devoid of values. 
he was to identify with the, all the communities of which he was a member and seek to clarify and implement policies for all those communities, to identify with the values of all the communities of, of which he was a member and which he cherished. And when you come then to the details of what law is about, it was a process of decision, again building on the realist, but decision included both authority and control. The realists were never very clear about authority. Uh, they, they included these low-level policies as their conception of authority. They in fact went back to homes, the consideration of what's expedient and best for the community, very vague high-level uh, generalizations. They were concerned with control, with effective power, and they didn't have much difficulty identifying this. They were concerned with the whole uh, process of decision and getting back to the facts. The, the main theme of the realist uh, was to uh, organize the case books in terms of factual controversies rather than legalistic concepts. Now what Laswell and I tried to add to this was a little less simple-minded that uh, you formulate a problem by looking to the facts, to the interactions between human beings, but you look also to the particular claims that are made to authority about different kinds of interactions. You look to the peculiar characteristics of the uh, decision process. What's unique about this decision process with respect to these kinds of problems? Then uh, where is the decision process uh, going wrong? What's, what are the problems in a sense? It's a little more complicated notion of a problem than the realist work with, but uh, uh, we insisted that you formulate problems first in the factual terms and then in these other terms. Then uh, the question becomes what kind of theory and procedures do you need for improving the management of these problems? Uh, here, of course, the very first thing is you have to know what you stand for. What do you recommend to the community as its common interest? Uh, we don't believe in the derivation of values from higher level policies such as the good life or the will of God or the laws of nature or anything of that kind, but we feel that the scholar as well as the judge must be aware of his own fundamental commitments and have, make these rather explicit to himself. Uh, then how do you relate these fundamental commitments to these specific problems that we were talking about? You do these by the more detailed clarification of the policies, by relating them to the facts. Uh, this calls for a number of other intellectual procedures. Uh, historical task. What has been the what have been the past decisions on comparable problems? What policy consequences did they get? Uh, what were the factors that appeared to have affected these past decisions? And not the simple-minded physical notion of Underhill Moore, but the perspectives of the judges, the participants in these interactions, their demands for values, their sense of realism their identifications, you see. Uh, when you dis discover, at least get some sense of the factors that have affected the past decisions, then you look seriously to the future. 
Are these conditions, are these factors likely uh, to prevail in the future? And if you don't like what you predict into the future, then the final task is what can you do about it? Can you invent new myths, new institutions, new kinds of decisions, uh, new ways of managing effective power that will produce decisions that are more in accord with the postulated policies that you began with now? I will say that uh, Laswell was primarily responsible for this. My role was to help him give it hands and feet. Uh, he had the map from the first day I met him there in the summer of 1935, but he didn't know enough about authority. So he knew about effective power. He knew about the factors that affect human beings, uh, the complexities of human beings' perspectives. Uh, but uh, I saw that he had, and he had a set of values. When we first began to work, the first article in 1952, he had certain priorities among his values. Uh, enlightenment, respect, and power were deference values. All other values were instrumental, wealth, well-being, skill, affection, rectitude. I said to him at the time, this won't work. These values are so interdependent that any priorities have to be made a matter of particular context. And I said, this is the last time I will write it up with any priorities among them. I will say he did change his mind and that was the, the last time he ever mentioned any priorities in general among the values. But uh, he had this first book on world politics and personal insecurity has the germs of everything that I've said to you. And uh, our collaboration was just a slow process of working out this theory in a way that it could be applied to any subject. We began by applying it to property law and did produce one case book in these terms. But Laswell was primarily interested in global power. And I'd been interested in international law as a student of Briarley's. He said, why don't you make the switch? And he finally persuaded me that I ought to move from property law into international law and teach jurisprudence and international law instead of teaching land law to develop these theories. Mac, we've reviewed the uh, law school. In many ways, this has been a review of jurisprudence and the American contribution to it and Yale's central role in it. What do you think is the future of jurisprudence in the terms that you've been describing, and particularly the role of Yale in that future? Well, I'd have to apply exactly the same intellectual procedures to the future of jurisprudence that I've been applying to the other topics that we've discussed. The question is, what's our past inheritance? What are the factors that affect the kind of jurisprudence that a community has? Uh, what are the consequences, alternative consequences of different versions of jurisprudence? In these terms, our inheritance is this great range of theories going back to natural law, the historical school, the positivism, the American legal realist, the beginnings of a policy-oriented approach, uh, the factors that will affect the future uh, are largely the demands that the members of the community make upon law. The theory about law, the procedures for inquiry about law, legal education are a function of what the members of the community want out of law. 
It's the function of a law school, not merely to train lawyers, but to pass on this great, great heritage of how the members of a community can govern themselves by peaceful procedures, by persuasion rather than coercion and violence, and to add the knowledge to improve the procedures that they get from the past. I think it's clear that the members of our contemporary community are demanding much more of law than has ever been demanded in the past. That uh, however much people may fight it, that is, as human beings become more interdependent within particular communities, as larger communities become more interdependent among themselves as between themselves, that the role of law must be greater. Now, if law is to have this importance in the lives of people, I think the probabilities are that more money will be put, more resources will be put into legal education, into inquiry about law, and performing all these functions of law schools than in the past. So I'm rather hopeful that all the mysticism of the kind that's represented by a great many uh, squid functions in our present community uh, will be replaced by a more genuine focus upon how policy is clarified, how institutions are created to implement preferred policy, how all these features that I referred to as a deliberately policy-oriented approach are made. Uh, if uh, you think of the role of the Yale Law School in this, I'm reasonably hopeful. I would hope that the demands of the students upon these abler, younger faculty members uh, would respond to this demand from the larger community for a better law, uh, better to secure the values of human dignity and all these institutions would uh, bear some fruit. So uh, I'm not a pessimist on the future. The only grounds for pessimism on the future would be outside the Yale Law School, outside this particular community, that we are not able to organize a chaotic world and that uh, international law is not taken seriously enough to train the people to manage this process of decision across nation-state lines and that the nuclear and other contemporary weapons might be used for the, destroy the whole of humanity. But if this occurs, it doesn't make much difference what kind of law school we have. But by and large, I'm optimistic enough to think that uh, the Yale Law School and other law schools will see the importance of training people and of making the inquiries necessary to create a law of human dignity.